Brother. Have we started the fire? Yes. The fire rises. Welcome, citizens of Gotham, to another episode of The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFR Batpod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, maybe suggestions for future episodes of the show, we can be reached by email at tfrbatpod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and we're back for a really big episode today. We have two subjects to cover. We're going to be talking all about the most recent episode of Titans, and then we are going to finally get back to Batman The Long Halloween. That's right, we're covering part two of the animated film and of course i got the band back together from part one so welcome back mr matt hewlin matt thank you for coming back to cover this movie again with us how are you i'm doing good eric i wouldn't uh wouldn't miss finishing up the uh one of the biggest batman animated movies um review to come in the past few years and uh excited to be back and talk some uh some Batman with you guys. Well, you're also a pretty big fan of uh, Titans, so it's a, it's this is a good episode to bring you on for Titans as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, and also joining us uh, our regular co-host. He, uh, you've heard him so many times here on the show, and he is back again, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, welcome back, sir. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be fun to talk uh, Long Halloween Part Two. And it'll be nice to hear Matt's thoughts on Titans because I have yet to hear uh, what Matt thinks of Titans. So I'm glad. Uh, welcome back, Matt, and glad we could finally get you back on to do part two here. Yes, sir. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So this is uh, this is a little bit of a change in the format because it, usually it's just me and Joe talking about Titans, but it's nice to have uh, a third man in the booth here. So without further ado, let's get into. Season 3, Episode 9 of Titans. Okay, we are we are here to talk about Episode 9, titled Souls. And before we get into the details of the show, uh, let's uh, Matt, quick thoughts. What did you think of this episode? Um, are we, are we spoiler free right now? Or yeah. We... Ju yeah. Just, just overall general thoughts. Um, I was floored, um, at several points. One major point during the episode, um, was like just excitement. 
Um, but it was is a nice uh, change of pace. Nice to finally pick up on some um, uh, some breadcrumbs, some trails that were um, we haven't been down um, since the end of season two, um, and kind of see mix of some old and some new um, all at once. So I'm very happy with the episode. Yeah, for sure. Well, what about you, Joe? What did you think of this one? Yeah, I was really happy. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say this is where they finally delve into the whole storyline with Raven and trying to resurrect Donna. I think my mine and and your concerns, uh, I hope, were uh, alleviated a little bit. I think, you know, they did a good job with that story and bringing it into the rest of the story with Titans that we've been, you know, the ongoing story for season three. And I think that, uh, I think they did a great job with it. I'm really excited to see now the season continue now that we have not all of our questions answered, but I think the biggest looming question since episode one was when were they going to bring Raven in? When were we going to see that storyline? So I'm glad we've gotten past that, not in a negative way, but I'm glad that we've, we've turned the corner here. And we're, we're in the final stretch. Yeah, so for me, I if you guys have been listening week to week with our reviews of Titans, you know the, the big question I've been asking is, okay, when are they going to finally bring in Rachel? When are they going to bring in um, Donna? When? How are they going to make this work? And I that was a concern of mine that I was getting a little more concerned with each episode because each episode was really good, but there was that lingering question. And the way they did it in this episode, I thought was just really clever. I thought it was organic and it, and it worked really well tying all the characters together. So we'll get into it further, but let me give you guys the synopsis. So season three, episode nine, titled Souls, training with the Amazons in Themyscira, Rachel's efforts to resu- resurrect Donna prove unsuccessful. Tim awakens in the afterlife where he encounters Donna and Hank. Banding together against demonic ghouls that steal dead souls, Hank convinces the group to escape the afterlife through a bridge leading to Earth. The three reach the bridge while battling the ghouls, but Hank is forced to stay behind when the bridge collapses. Donna and Tim successfully cross the bridge, bringing them back to life. As a departing Rachel discovers Donna's body gone, Donna saves Bruce from a suicide attempt. Hank reunites with Donnie, prompting them to team up in protecting other souls from the ghouls. Okay, so the elephant in the room for you guys. We'll start with Matt. Uh, did you, when when the whole uh, underworld afterlife thing started in the episode, did you expect to see Hank Hall? Not at all. Completely, like, I had, like, finally, like, come to terms with, with Hank's death in season three, like had had moved on past it and i i had no idea when that car pulled up like i was like who's who's gonna be in this and then like when when it showed and it was hank and cut to it like i like i exclaimed like out, out loud was just like yes yes like it's hank hell yeah and like I, I even sent you a text me- message immediately, like yes, I'm watching it right now, and just yes, like hell yeah, <laughs> yeah, with a few more expletives in there. A few but... <laughs> more expletives, but we'll keep it PG. 
Okay, what about you, Joe? Were you expecting to see Hank in the afterlife? Well, unfortunately for me, I I found I got to stop going on Instagram and and looking at some of this stuff because unfortunately for me, I was spoiled on Hank showing up. Um, it, I saw it in like a promo image that was either leaked or someone just posted uh, in you know like a Titans fan page or something. So I I unfortunately didn't know. I kept it to myself. I didn't ruin it for anybody else. But I was excited when I saw the picture and I didn't know exactly how it was going to play out, but I was so happy when I saw him in that car and it was just, you know, to see Hank again and especially the way we were so devastated when he died and so abruptly that I think this was a great way to give his character almost an epilogue. I mean, and we'll get into it once we, you know, get further along here. But I think when you first see him, you're like, wow, like, is he going to make it now somehow? And it's like, ah, I don't know how they're going to do this, but I'm just so happy to see the character again. And either way, we're going to get either some finality or we're going to get him back. And I was just so excited to see him. Yeah, I was uh, I was over the moon to see Hank Hall in this episode. Uh, Hank has definitely become my favorite character on the show, and now that now that he's officially gone, it's it's even more heartbreaking. But they gave him a absolutely wonderful send off in this episode, and I couldn't be happier with how they tied his character together. But yeah, um, I did know that you got spoiled on it. I remember you asking me if I had seen certain things on Instagram. And Joe, I really appreciate you not uh, spoiling it for me like you got spoiled for you. <laughs> I would have—I'll be honest—I would have been extremely upset with you <laughs> if you had told no, me. No, I would this never spoiler. do that. I—I'll even text you like because I know you watch it before work in the morning, and I—I I was lucky enough to be able to do that yesterday myself. I will—I won't even text you. Um, any specifics, I'll just be like, I loved it. Or have you seen it yet? I, I won't, I won't ever, um, ruin anything for anyone, especially with like a picture like that. I, I think I usually will even ask you, have you seen any promo images? And if you say no, I just drop it. Or, or are you curious? And I know what to tell you and what not to tell you. <laughs> yeah. So usually, uh, between me and Joe, it's, it's just, a text that says Titans with like three exclamation points. <laughs> <laughs> I try not to text Matt too much because his work schedule is a little wonky. And I'm like, I don't know if he's seen the episode or not. So usually my question to Matt is seen Titans or something yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah. I think we're all pretty good about like, let me clarify, see what they've heard before I say anything. <laughs> like, let me not like yeah. throw anything out there. So like, like good on you for not spoiling that Joe and also condolences for not being able to experience it in the same way. Like that me and Eric did like, that's just like, I feel sorry yeah, for yeah. you, but at the same time, like no, I, no, I, I blame myself for even like, <laughs> being on those sites and stuff. I know better, but also I will give them credit. It didn't lose any impact for me knowing it was coming. I, I think it still worked because I didn't know the context and I was still, even though I knew it was still kind of surprising because you get lost in the episode and you're wondering how things are going to play out and it still worked. Now I will say I did know it was him as soon as the Thunderbird pulled up. Like <laughs> when the, when the Thunderbird pulled up blaring the, I can't even remember what song it was now, but it's, movie living on a prayer. 
Yes. Okay. Living on a prayer. When when he pulled up, when the car pulled up and the door opened and it was blaring that music, I was like, oh, it's Hank. So before they even showed him, I knew, I knew it was Hank. So I, I got really excited. But let's go. Let's go back. We kind of skipped a little bit. Um, what did you guys think of the the training in in Themyscira? Uh, this is a little bit of a different looking Themyscira. What did, what did you guys think of the like say the difference between the Themyscira here and the Themyscira we've seen in the Wonder Woman films? Matt, we'll start with you. Um, it's definitely different. I didn't notice that it has more of a uh, in the Wonder Woman and Justice League like Themyscira. It's much more of a uh, ancient Greece like kind of vibe, um, where it's more based off of like I feel like what we have like historically. Um, and in this, it seems like it's more, uh, I don't want to, I guess alien, uh, cause it's more, uh, looks more like a combination of, you know, the ancient Greek, you know, roots, but more of like a futuristic, like advanced kind of, um, society looking deal. Um, almost like I said, like kind of kind of alien almost makes you feel like you're on a different uh world separate from um from earth but i think it i think it very much fits with the the theme of the show and like what we get um mm. from it so like i i think it it's different from what we're used to or what we've seen you know um uh in theaters but i think it i think it definitely works okay what what about you joe yeah, I, I think it's an interesting, uh, like what Matt said with the alien-like, uh, alien-like technology or just the scope of it. I this to me the scope was noticeable. Just, I mean, we have to remember it is a TV show budget, so it's going to feel less populated than the films do. I think that was the first thing that, you know, mm-hmm. is noticeable. But I will give them credit. I don't remember the details, but the, the for i guess the the shot of oh what's the word i'm looking for like the the zoomed out shot of the mascara where you see the the whole scope of it i thought that was really great whether it be cgi work or if they used a model or a real life place where they just kind of cgi'd certain stuff over it i thought it looked great i thought talking about the the big tracking shot of the island of the like the coastline Yep, I thought they did a really good job with that. Like I said, I don't know if that's an actual place or if they CGI'd over some stuff. Whatever they did to do that, I thought it was a really cool shot. I thought it looked great. It looked cinematic to me. It mm-hmm. didn't look cheesy in any way. Um, like where when they show Wayne Manor, you could tell that's kind of CGI. Like it has that look to it. It doesn't bother me because it has like, I mean, whatever they have to do to make it look how they want is fine but this looked really good to me and i was really impressed by that i think the i like that they're doing something different but you could still tell it's the mascara Mm -hmm. um so uh, yeah i i really enjoyed that that long tracking shot you were talking about of the coastline i thought that really established okay this is an island even though i don't we didn't see the whole thing but it, it it establishes that the one nitpick I will say is after that, you feel like you're, you do feel like you're on a set. And that's because of the, the show's budget. It's a well done set, but everything else on Themyscira, when they're inside, um, you, you can tell you're on a soundstage. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's a, it's, 
it's well done. It looks good, but that's yeah, that's the huge difference between something like this and something like a big budget Wonder Woman movie that we we've, we've seen these beautiful shots of the mascara. But not really a gripe. It is a TV show, so just you know, just keep that in mind. Yeah. But and going soundstage, it's like a it's a well done soundstage. It's not a tight like claustrophobic soundstage. No, yeah, you're right, and and I it's also I. This show shoots in Vancouver as well, doesn't it, Joe? Do you know? That sounds I, right. I don't think it's Atlanta. I think those would be the two places. I'm pretty sure it is Vancouver, but I'm not positive. It it looks very much Vancouver, especially like the scenes like in the afterlife and stuff, and like the um the city stuff. It reminds me a lot of the because a lot of the CW shows shoot in um in Vancouver up in the. Um, Pacific Northwest, and that's what. Oh, the, yeah, they have going all the way back to Smallville. They yeah. shot in Vancouver, so yeah. Uh, but going from Themyscira, we go into the afterlife, and I I really enjoy the the black and white to to represent the afterlife. I think that's that's really neat. Um, what did you guys think of the aesthetic of the afterlife? I know you just Matt, you just mentioned it. It's very Vancouver. It's it's like wooded areas and and long trails and paths and we and we get this opening on the train the train to wherever the next place is uh i, I love how they keep it kind of ethereal and and um and vague of where this next place is but what, what did you guys think of the afterlife matt you can go ahead um i i liked it i i like the whole you know train metaphor and things um the uh the conductor like he was he was really cool i liked i liked his character and i liked the way they did his um and i kind of liked the idea that that stood out to me was um he's going to tim who's who's not been on the train very long um i mean because he's still you know foggy and doesn't know what's going on um and already the conductor's like okay we're here at your stop but then you know just a few shots later we see donna who is you know there's quite a big i know i know things in the afterlife are probably like the time periods are you know we don't know like how time passes for people and things like that but we know in our world that's been you know what several months now since you know she supposedly has died so she's been there you know in the real world for a while and no one has apparently come up to her and said hey this is your stop so that kind of Im implies that you know different people have different destinations like you're not all going to the same next place you know um which i thought was was really cool and well done especially you know considering tim is someone who's a you know a gothamite a a, a regular human and then you have donna who's uh amazonian she's from you know themiscira and so it's kind of like well what you know do they have two different afterlives where where is she going? Why is she not, you know, getting ready for a stop or, or is she, you know, um, mm -hmm. we don't, you know, he may have, he may have just got done talking to her. We don't know. <laughs> nice. What about you, Joe? Yeah. And just to, you know, to touch on that, I, I think with Donna, it might be more of a, an example of her being, you know, from the Mascara. Maybe she is kind of in limbo. She, she's not, you know, her destination is further away because she's not ready to go yet. 
where Tim being a mortal, being a human, um, he it's quicker for him to get to his destination. He can't be dead for long, so his destination has to be quicker. That's my headcanon for it. Um, I don't know, to me that makes sense. But mm. I I like the vagueness of it because I like it almost has like this dream sense to it where they're they're foggy. Nothing's really making sense. I, I like that dynamic. I think that's what would make sense, especially if like, let's say Tim isn't, you know, completely gone. Maybe he's unconscious. You're going to have that grogginess. You're going to have that. To me, it's like a dream. And I know they do make it so that Tim actually did die for. 43 seconds was it 93 93 okay um good job on you matt <laughs> but um oh, he's so the like one that, that works in the hospital so yeah oh there you go <laughs> <laughs> so uh yeah i like the way they did that i and i think i love that they call out like donna at one point says like oh yeah the train metaphor not very subtle is it i like i like fun stuff like that like okay yeah it's not a subtle metaphor but it works so we'll just call out that it's not subtle and move on because that's what we're thinking and it's it's fine to kind of have fun with your own you know writing I, i think that's fine because it makes the most sense to have that as the metaphor and that's it's okay that it's not subtle yeah, just because it's been used before doesn't mean that it's not good you know yeah it's it's mm-hmm. effective it, yeah. it's been used before because it is effective yep well the the way i saw it here is because you know the 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 logical side of me wants to say okay well donna's been dead for this long and hank's been dead for this long and tim you know just died so this the the timetable doesn't line up but Looking at it the way that they're depicting it here, everyone's journey is different. And depending on, you know, your your beliefs and it, anything like it, you know, all kinds of aspects like that, um, who who's to say how long your journey is before you get to the next place, quote unquote. So yeah, I, I kind of enjoyed that that the metaphor they were going for for here with the train and everybody's got a different stop and everybody's travel is different. So I, I kind of like that. Um, I, and once they're off the train, uh, the whole, the, this, this whole battle for the underworld is, is really interesting to me too. And um, the, the ghouls that are, that are out for people who, who escape the train, which leads you to believe there's a ton of people who who are not ready to go on to the next place. So that gives you kind of that, what you were talking about, Joe, that kind of limbo where they're being pulled in, in a bunch of different ways. They're, they're being pulled towards the next destination. They're being pulled towards the, the underworld or Hades as, as Hank called it in the episode. So I don't know. I, I really, I, I, I think they put a lot of thought into it and I really enjoyed the depiction here. Um, so as we're going back and forth between the afterlife scenes and the the, the scenes on um, Themyscira with Rachel trying to bring Donna back, I thought this was – and you guys can expand on this a little bit. We'll, we'll start with Joe this time. Uh, I thought this was some of the Tegan Croft's best acting so far in the series. What did you think of, of uh, Rachel's scenes in the, in the episode? 
Well, yeah, it's amazing how quick someone of that age can grow up, you know, before our eyes. We're at season three, and now she's, you know, she's an adult now. She's a, you know, a, a woman in this part now, as opposed to, you know, she looked like a 14, 15 year old girl in season one. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I agree. She was great. Um, I, I love the, you know, she stood up for herself against the Themyscirian, uh, you know, the Themyscirians. The, uh, what's the what's the word I'm looking for that they refer to themselves as? But, um, but yeah, I love that she you know held her ground with them when she she believed in something different than them. And I also want to say just real quick, I think they could have very easily given us like two to three minutes an episode of this training stuff to keep us in the loop of what's going on there. I prefer the way they did this so much better because mm-hmm. I think if they just did little by little, we'd be like, all right, what's the point of all this? It would have seemed really out of place. And I know we were, we were, you know, really hoping to get this eventually. And we just kept waiting and waiting. I think the wait was worth it because this never took away from what we were seeing in the first eight episodes. And then we were able to see what we needed to see in episode nine as opposed to just stringing us along little by little where it might not have had the same impact as it does here. So I really appreciate how they did decide to do this. Um, you know, with our apprehension going into this, I think it really worked well. And yeah, she was excellent in the episode. Um, I really liked how the, the conversation she had, uh, I should have wrote down the woman's name. Was it Lydia? Lydia, I think that's right. Um, I think so, yeah. I forgot to look up if that is a character from the comics. I don't think they would, you know, I, obviously it's not one of the more popular Amazons. I love that they did give, you know, Artemis a nod, the mm-hmm. god of Artemis. I don't think it's necessarily the the same Artemis that we know. I know there's different interpretations of that. Artemis is a Greek god of archery. I think mm-hmm. that's what they're referring to here. Um, but I like that little nod and I love the conversations that she has with Lydia where they, they see where each other is coming from, even if they don't agree. And you have the wisdom from a woman like Lydia trying to teach Raven, but also not talking down to her and being respectful both ways. I I think it was really, it was really cool where Raven sometimes would seem not in a bad way, but just that, that young girl that thinks she knows everything (laughs) and, Lydia wouldn't pander to her or wouldn't, you know, disrespect her beliefs, but she really wanted to show her there's a reason why I know more than you here. And, you know, I, I really liked their, their chemistry, especially when it's just the two of them later on and they really get to the heart of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree. What about you, Matt? What did you think of uh, Tegan Croft in this episode? Um, just kind of echo what uh, Joe said, like um, it's, you know, it's been however long since, you know, the end of season two, since we've seen her and you, you definitely get a, um, a different feel. I mean, just visually and just in her character in general, especially the, um, the training and the fight scene fight, you know, quote scene um, with the sword, you know, on the beach. Um, 
how she's you know taking the calls and then all of a sudden you know the girl lets out with a combo and she she dodges all of it and then uses her powers to stop a stroke like it i really it kind of echoes to me the same thing that we're seeing uh in gotham with uh um with gar um you know i feel like they're throwing tidbits of you know him becoming more of a physical threat and uh you know um developing in that way um to to kind of show his growth as a not just as a as a person as a character but as a hero too you know him mm-hmm. going from you know being someone that's you know kind of clumsy and bumbling to someone who's actually in control and and growing to be on the level of like Grayson and um everyone else um so her performance is great I really I really enjoyed the scene of um of uh, Raven and Lydia with the I was trying to remember the name of the little rock structure um and I, I, I just call it Themyscira and Jenga <laughs> well I was uh, thinking Themyscira Stonehenge so <laughs> <laughs> that's why a, I didn't even bring it up I let Matt uh, do that <laughs> it had a it had a weird name but like the shape of it I think is I think is very deliberate um, because it's that double helix that you kind of get that mm-hmm. we have with DNA and they talk about it being mm-hmm. the soul. And I, I, like I said, I think that's deliberate. I think that's on purpose, um, you know, trying to rebuild something so complex, you know, and then ultimately at the end, you know, still, you know, thinking that you've got it and it's complete and it all falling apart still, um, you know, regardless of what you do. And I think that's, uh, uh, I really like the subtlety there, and it, that might be completely off base. The the creators might would listen to this and be like, "Oh, wait, well, that was completely not what we were talking about." But to me, that's what it. It's a it's a good symbology. I I like it, um, and but I don't know. I I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think I think you're actually pretty close. I think it. I'm not one of the creators, but I think you're pretty close with that. Um, I, I do. I also enjoy that or not enjoy, but I appreciate the fact that just as Rachel has kind of given up the ghost and, and acknowledged the fact that Donna is gone. Well, Donna's not so gone. So yeah, I, yeah, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that, that she, she had to, she had to get to a place where she was ready to let go. And that is kind of when Donna comes back. Yeah. So I'll go ahead. Because it it's kind of ends up to the point where kind of shows you the lesson where like it's not up to Raven for Donna to come back. You know, she can do what she can, you know, maybe to even like open the path or whatever. But like, you know, Donna has to make that choice. You know, she could have seen the bridge and been like, no, I'm done. I don't I don't want to go back. And I think she mentions that. I think she has a conversation with Hank about that. Like, you know, yeah. I'm. I'm at, I'm at peace. Like I don't want to, so it's not, mm-hmm. you know, and I think Raven kind of finally comes to that conclusion where, you know, it's, it's not on me and then, you know, kind of let it go and it comes back to you. And that's what I think we're going to see happen here. So the switch to me is amazing as so far as the characters who are in the afterlife, um, because Hank is the one who's hell bent on getting back. And Donna is not sure she wants to come back. And in the end, it's Hank that sacrifices himself 
so that Donna and Tim can get back. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, up until the bitter end, as bravos and, and over the top as Hank Hall is, he is a hero. And that, that's at the at the end of the line. That's that's what he does, because it's what he has to do. Um, he he just can't help but but help others, and I, I really enjoyed that. And it's part of what makes Hank absolutely one of my favorite characters on the show. Uh, so the so the whole bridge scene. Did you guys think that? Did you guys think that Hank was coming back, or did you think this was going to be um, a misdirect as it as it kind of turned out being, where Hank is is basically the vehicle to get Donna and Tim back. Joe, you can go ahead. I, a part of me was hopeful he was going to come, ha- come back somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, let's be honest. The show has really embraced the whole comic book aspect of this world, despite having that gritty feel to it. You know, we have a Lazarus pit. We have other stuff. The thing that was always stopping Hank from coming back was the fact that there's no body, but, Part of me was wondering, and I, I spoke to you about this a little bit. I these characters always, you know, die and come back in the comics. And I want to say either Hawk or Dove or both were resurrected during either Blackest Night or Brightest Day. I don't remember. Um, I didn't get a chance to look it up. But I would have been fine if they were just like, oh yeah, Hank comes back, because I, I don't care. But I think this works much better. Mm-hmm. Um and I love the fact that. Hank is the one that, you know, is the one that realizes Donna is not ready to go. That when Donna say, like puts herself in the way of Tim right away to save Tim, that's Hank's realization that, you know what? It's my time. It's not hers yet. And he does do the sacrifice play and it does create the finality to his death. And I'm okay with that because I think this is such a perfect send off for him. And we all knew Donna was coming back. Mm-hmm. So there is that, you know, we, we know more than we should side to it, but I think it works well. And I, I think thematically Hank being the one to sacrifice himself. So Donna can get Tim back makes it really special. Oh yeah. I, I completely agree. Uh, what about you, Matt? Did you think Hank was was coming back here, or or did you think this was gonna end up essentially as it did? I mean, I was hopeful that he was gonna come back, but I was very, you know, skeptical. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like from the moment I saw him, still like I was like, okay, this is probably just a a one off. Like I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna get my hopes up too much that you know we're gonna have more more hawk like in the living world um and then and then as soon as the bridge fell like and he was on Mm. one side of it i was like okay yeah he's not he's not coming across like um he's gonna be stuck and um and i'm i think i'm 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 fine with that um i was i was kind of like joe said like you know we don't have a body so like that makes it you know kind of finite even in this world i mean it's not it's not without possibility i was kind of leaning towards um you know 
what if he, they bring him back and he's like a spirit lingering in the living world, you know, because, you know, not having the body. And I thought maybe that's what they were alluding to with him having the powers of like, think, you know, imagining, you know, needing guns and things like that and being able to summon that. Like maybe he would, um, because, uh, going back to the whole, like 93 seconds thing, you know, we get this short excerpt of Tim and then they say, Oh, this is 93 seconds. Well, you know, Donna has spent all of her time on the train, but I imagine Hank doing something very similar to what Tim did, waking up fairly shortly after dying, immediately jumping off the train. And then now he spent all of this time in purgatory, you know, basically purgatory on the run, you know, learning, developing all these relationships and things. Um, so I was like, you know, maybe this is, you know, where they're going with it. And he's going to be more, you know, uh, in touch with like the spiritual side of things or whatever, um, kind of a justice league, dark kind of, um, theme. Um, but then at the end, you know, we don't, we don't get that. Um, but I can't think of any more fitting place like in the afterworld for, for Hank to be, because, from the very beginning, like, you know, all the background and stuff that we see, Hank has been a, a fighter, like, mm -hmm. so throwing him in a world where it's constantly, a, a, a one fight to the next between these ghouls and, and protecting people and stuff like that's as, that's as good of a Valhalla for, um, for Hank as I can, I can see, you know? Well, and especially because of who he's doing it with. Yes. You know, let's, let's talk about Donnie, uh, because that is so freaking clever, and and I'm so impressed with the with the writing team on the show because I did not even after with all this afterlife stuff, I did not even think about Donnie, and the moment we hear Donnie's voice, and Hank turns around, and there he is in the early um, Dove outfit. I I thought, okay, because I was a little, like, I thought it was well done on the bridge, and I'm like, okay, Hank's not coming back, so I got, I started getting a little bummed, but then as soon as the Donnie scene happened, I'm like, okay, this is perfect, they got me, um, yep. it's, it's, Same. it's such, Same for me. yeah, it's such a great send-off for, for Hank Hall, to, to be back with Donnie, and now they're, they're, saving souls basically from the ghouls in the underworld together. I mean, if you can't have him on the show, this is, this is as good an ending as I can think of. So what did you guys think? I mean, you just, you just kind of agreed with me, but um, Matt, what did you think of, of, of Donnie and, and ha the original Hawk and Dove reuniting here? I, I thought it was, uh, like you said, I, I don't think of any other, a better way to send off the character. Um, you know, it's, it goes back to his roots. It goes back to why he started doing what he, you know, what mm -hmm. he, what he does. And, um, it's just, like I said, um, as that's Valhalla, man. I mean, that's, you don't, you don't get a better for, for two guys who love kicking ass. I mean, here you go. Here's kick ass and save lives for the, or souls for the, for the rest of eternity, you know, until you decide, you know, to get back on that train and go wherever it is you're supposed to go, you know. Yeah. What about you, Joe? 
that's that's perfectly said by Matt. Uh, I couldn't have said it any better. I think shame on us too for not thinking of Donnie because I one thing I got to give him credit for is as much as I wasn't thinking of Donnie, the minute I heard his voice, and I haven't heard Donnie's voice since what episode? What was it four in um, season one? Yeah, it was early, either three or four, and um. The minute you hear his voice, you know exactly who it is. And I lost it because it was like, like, just like Matt said, like, once you hear he's with Donnie, I'm good now. Hank is at peace. He's with his brother as he should be. And I don't ever need to see Hank again. Believe me, I would love to see Hank again. Bring both of them back somehow. Mm -hmm. But I was so happy for Hank and I'm good. That was, it was just a perfect send off. It really was. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, this is kind of a sidebar, but I just want to say I, Alan Richson has become one of my favorite people. I think he's awesome. And uh, I think this is a great little send off for him. So I I know it was kind of a bummer for him to, to lose the part, but man, what a great send off. Um, so now for for kind of the last little part we got of the episode, this is this is a little bit of my biggest nitpick of of the episode. Uh, we get we know that Tim Drake has has kind of woken up back in his body and the, the whole ninety three second thing. He's back to life. Well, Donna returns to life as well, but she doesn't go back to where she her body was. She kind of teleports to Bruce Wayne where he's trying to kill himself. And saves his life. Um, this is this is the only part of the show, the episode for me that felt disjointed, because it's like, okay, this is not an ability that I know that Donna has. Um, I asked Joe through text messaging. I'm like, did this? Can Raven teleport people? Did she do this? Because I'm unsure of how this this whole thing happened. First of all, I think there is going to be issues from people who already are kind of iffy on Titans over Bruce Wayne trying to commit suicide. <laughs> I thought they were going to do it. I the, thought they were going to do it, and it was just going to be like, well, he's not going to be Batman. <laughs> yeah. And the way and the, the method, too. Like, I can't think of a, a worse way to do it. Like, it, to... Oh, burning to death or drowning. I can't think of any worse. And he's going to burn himself. He's going to burn himself to death. And and not even set himself on fire. Just stay in the room while it burnt. Like, I, yeah, Yeah. I just, I was like, as soon as that started, I was like, oh, yeah, he's not dying. Like, something's going to, I was like, Mm -hmm. we haven't seen, I was like, I knew Donna was going to come in and save him. I was like, there's no, I was like, we haven't seen her. All of a sudden, her body's missing. Like, yeah, this is, it's, like you said, kind of my nitpick, the whole thing, like, they're gonna, they're gonna have to clear some things up for me before yeah, well, the end of the season to, to make that last. Yes. So, I again, I I feel like I've been saying this every episode that we discuss. They have done such a good job of clearing things up that we've had questions on from prior episodes, mm-hmm. and I think here, you see that somehow, there's no logical explanation for Tim. Donna and Hank to be connected in the afterlife with nobody else around. So I think they're just going to explore the fact that all these characters are somehow connected, have some type of connection between them, whether it be Raven's connection 
whether it be someone, you know, we, we know the, the speculation from season two with Raven bringing the girls to the diner with Bruce. There's, there's a lot of weird exploration with Raven's powers. So mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if that is the connection between all of this. And I, listen, I'm, I'm, I, you know me, I'm always good with stuff. Like I, I said to <laughs> Eric, I'm like, Eric's like, what's the reason for that? I'm like, comics, shoulder <laughs> But he's like, that can't be the reason. I'm like, ah, for me it is. Like, I don't care. But I, I do give them credit. I think I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt like I have been. I'm going to hope that they are going to give us some explanation. Is it going to be the explanation that's good enough for everyone? No, of course not. There are people that have been writing this show off since day one, but yet they keep watching it, which I'll never understand. And <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I, again, I, I I'm going to go with it until the season ends and we don't get an explanation, but if the season's good enough, I don't care. Well, like, I, I think the, the episodes have been so strong this season and the writing has been so strong. I'm sure they will explain it. And you've talked about how uh, at some point this releasing as as individual episodes kind of kind of hurts a little bit because yeah I think if this was one of those that it was released in a three episode bunch it wouldn't you wouldn't be like I wouldn't have this strong nitpick where I'm like man this is such a strong episode and then the ending confuses me yeah. So, like, so it would be the perfect time to just go to the next episode. Right. Yeah. So I'm hoping, and and I, I have all confidence in Titans uh, going forward. They've done such a good job this season. So I have confidence that next week we will we will figure this all out, and, and it'll just be like, oh, okay, so that's what it was. But and for we still now... Have, I'm, I'm sorry. We still have no confirmation of if they are going to release, like, the final two episodes in one week or... Like they really haven't, they've been very hush hush with the release schedule. So we're, we're to assume it's going to be just weekly from here on out. That's what I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is, well, we, we've, we've been talking about this episode for quite a while, but I figured we would, this is, <laughs> this is, uh, this might've replaced episode three as my best of this season. And um, I'm, I'm sorry, but. And we have spent way too much time on this episode of Titans, but Titans has been loaded. But we didn't even talk about Tim Drake. And I have to say, um, he is a perfect Tim Drake. Mm-hmm. I never expected such a perfect Tim Drake on screen. And I just need to say that before we move on, because I absolutely adore him. And I cannot wait to see more of him. I completely agree. Yeah, and and he is kind of a side character to this episode, but I mean he's he's part of this afterlife journey and he he is fantastic. I agree with you. Just something um, as simple as him drinking the milkshake at the bar while they were like chilling out. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that we we are gonna we're gonna put a cap on Titans. We are complete I I speak for all three of us, I think, when we're completely looking forward to the rest of the season. I can't believe we're this close to the end already, um, but we will we will definitely be back next week to talk about the next episode. But for now, we are going to jump into our main event, and I feel like that, I don't know if we can talk about um, the Long Halloween Part 2 as long as we did this episode of Titans, but we're going to do our best to give to to um, – to do justice to Long Halloween Part 2. But that is what we're going to dive into now, our review of Batman The Long Halloween Part 2.
Okay, so let's do spoiler-free thoughts just before we dive over the spoiler wall. So, uh, Matt, why don't you give me your spoiler-free thoughts of Batman The Long Halloween Part 2? Um, I enjoyed it just as much as the first part. Um, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, when we did the review for Part 1, we talked about how, um, especially the ending, very much changed, um, you know, took a a a sharp left turn from where the uh the comics did um and i think they i think they brought that home very well um with the way the the way the um the movie progressed and the way that they tied it up at the end the different twists that they gave us um i think it was i think it was well done and deserves you know it's not that uh, like we had talked about, it's it's not that you know direct from the page to the screen um, adaptation. It stands on its on its own right, um, and the story by itself. If you if you had no if you had no idea and you had never read the Long Halloween comics, you could watch this movie and say, yes, this is a this is a fantastic Batman story. Um, I think it was very well done. I was very very satisfied with the way they brought everything back together very nice and what about you joe spoiler free thoughts what did you think of part two uh i agree with everything matt said i think he is right on the money when he says um if you don't compare it to the the book and you watch it as it is i think i think the only negatives anyone could say about this is the changes from the book this film if you've never read the book i think is excellent and I'll even go as someone who loves the book. I still think the film is excellent. I think they added stuff to the to the lore that um, I don't want to say it needed to be there, but I think it it improves on the book. It mm. gives some characters much more background and much more depth. It does remove some stuff from the book that I did enjoy, but I don't think it necessarily needed to be there. So, you know, maybe a couple nitpicks here and there on certain things that I miss, but the the movie as itself and that's what i'm going to try to judge it on i think is very good i it's hard to judge part two without including part one i think it does play really well as a full film and that's the goal of part two i said i think in part one that you had to you had to grab people with part one to get them to want to watch part two and then they could have really done some off the rail stuff in part two once they already got you but they didn't. I think they did everything very respectable to the source material while still changing some things. And But I think those changes worked. And yeah, I was really happy with it. Yeah, for sure. I agree with uh, both of you guys. I think this works best as, uh, as a full, complete movie. Um, watching part one and then part two, uh, which is this, it's the same way as, as The Dark Knight Returns. Uh, it just works better as one full story. I, I had talked about when we reviewed part one that depending on how part two panned out, this could nudge um, Under the Red Hood as my favorite animated Batman movie. And I can say without a doubt, it has not done that. <laughs> uh, it is – it is, but it is a firm – I didn't know which way you were going on that. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. kind of – I'm kind of surprised that he said that it, it didn't. I was like, oh, he's about it, to say it. It did. Okay, you gave so us the switcheroo with the lead. I up. did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I having said that, it's a strong contender for probably number two. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think it carries the emotional weight of Under the Red Hood, uh, which is that that is such a good movie. It's it's hard to replace. But this as a two parter, um, it, it is very good. And I think the changes they made are good changes because it, we've talked about before how page to screen doesn't always work. And with something like Batman Year One, I think that's an example of there's a lot of Bat fans out there that just they, they're, they're kind of bored with the page to screen adaptation there because it's like, OK, we've seen all this. But yet there's a lot of people that scream, no, it should be just like the comics. So – I like that they decided to take us on a different ride here while also giving us the familiar beats. So I think they did a really good job with that here in part two. Um, and and I, I, I do really, really enjoy it. Um, I don't know how often that this will be in my rewatch stable just because I don't watch the dark Knight returns that often, not because it's not a great film, but because it's a, it's a, it's a longer film. And it's easier to pop something in that's, you know, like under the red hood or something like that. That's that's got a shorter runtime. Having said that, I think it's an awesome uh, adaptation of an, of a very very good classic iconic Batman book, um, and, and it is it is definitely worth anyone's time who's who's a Batman fan or isn't a Batman fan. I think this translates well for for any audience. So I do have some nitpicks, and we're going to get into it. Uh, so I think this is a great place to get into spoilers. So if you haven't seen Part 2, this is your chance to jump off, go watch it, and come back, because we are going to get into spoilers. And that starts right now. So let's talk about the beginning of the movie. Um, Joe, they kind of skip through the first three holidays of this portion of the film very quickly. So what did you think of, of how they began the film here? Well, yeah, they, they rush. I don't want to even want to say they rush, but they go through, what is it? Um, Valentine's day and St. Patrick's day, but I, I don't, and April and April fools. And they skip April fools, but Mm -hmm. I think they do a fair job with, with Valentine's day and St. Patrick's day because there's not much to that. Did they add to St. Patrick's day or was that still Valentine's day? Well, Valentine's and St. Patrick's in the book are the, um, they are the, the, the Ivy chapters. Yes. And they did a fair amount on the Ivy chapters here. They did. I think April fools is the biggest loss here. Yes. April fools is the biggest loss, but I think if they're going to skip one, they eliminate Riddler from this story altogether. So mm-hmm. I think it, like if you're going to skip one to add to it, it makes sense because you don't want to just shoehorn Riddler in for no reason if you're not going to use him in the story. And they spent more time on Scarecrow and the Mad Hatter, which, again, if you're not comparing it to the book, would you really even miss April Fool's Day if you weren't comparing it to the book? And that's where I'm trying. Like you were saying before yeah. about how year one is is the page to page and then you have this but mm-hmm. under the red hood is still the one that most people love so much i think it's it's harder when the story that they're adapting from is so beloved under the red hood is a great comic arc but it's not as beloved as the other two and i think they improved on that book vastly with the with the film oh they absolutely did yeah and with this i I'm okay with the changes. I really am as far as skipping April Fool's Day. 
Um, I just, and I think once they get past April Fool's Day, the highlight to me is Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. So I can forgive rushing through the first ones if they make me really care for what they're going to show me. Okay, so before we get to Mother's Day, um, I know that, Matt, I believe one of your nitpicks was the the exclusion of Riddler, correct? It it was because of, I just enjoyed that part in the comics so well, especially the, the whole theme of, you know, because the big thing on April Fool's Day was the killer didn't kill anybody. And that kind of like fit mm-hmm. the theme, you know, haha, April Fool's, like you thought I was going to get you, but I didn't. And like, I, I, that part I enjoyed, but listening to Joe talk just now and, and thinking about the way that the movie ends compared to the book, I think in the book, you need that April's fool with the, with the Riddler and like, you know, trying to guess like who the killer is because you have that, open ending in the book, you know, where there was multiple killers and who was, who was holiday at what point, you know, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, but in the movie, you don't need him and you don't need that because of the route they decided to take. So like Joe said, like, if you look at it just from the movie point, like you don't miss it at all. Like if you've never read the books, like, it, it wouldn't phase you at all. You just think, oh, okay, like Bruce has been under Ivy's spell the whole time. So like, that's why we missed three months, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but coming from someone who's, who's read it and who enjoyed that part of it, you're kind of like, oh man, like that was, you know, they missed one of my favorite parts. But again, like it does not detract from, from the movie. And again, looking at it, it makes sense that if you're going to cut something, skip something, it, it fits, you know, it just, it works. Yeah. I think, I think that's where it comes from being um, a fan of the book because the April's, the April fool's chapter of the book is my favorite chapter because I love, I love the little back and forth of the panels of, of Riddler and the panels of Batman kind of thinking on the same wavelength and trying to figure this out at the same time. Um, I, I really like, and I really like what you brought up about how April Fools is the holiday where he does, where Holiday doesn't kill someone. But I also, I, I think for the story they're telling here, because we already know that um, that um, Alberto is not the killer, so it's a completely different set of circumstances. Um, and I think this is a chapter that is an acceptable loss for the movie. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you guys on that. I I miss seeing the Riddler, but it makes sense here because you get you get all of the other beats. You get uh, Ivy controlling Bruce. You get him signing over her um, his assets to Falcone, and you get the the conclusion of that of Catwoman defeating Ivy and rescuing Bruce. And I really like that it was a little more of a. And they've done this a few times. It, they give they give it more action beats than than there are in the book. I really enjoyed the the little Catwoman and, and Poison Ivy battle. Mm-hmm. It's it's a yeah. tough juggling act because you have a movie like Year One where everyone's complaint is it's too much like the book, but then you have this where you're like, oh, I wish they would have added, I wish they would have kept this, I wish they would have kept this. Something has to be left out to not be a a duplicate of Batman Year One. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 
it's really tough for the filmmakers to to find that happy medium. And I I think that's why I'm more forgiving of it because I understand that this is not an easy task and you just try to judge the film for what it is. And I think we've all done that fairly. It's just, yeah, it's not, it's not an easy thing to do when you love the book so much because what if they decided to keep April fool's day in, but took out Solomon Grundy, you know, there's, there's always going to be something that has to be removed. And I like the additions. So that's where I'm okay. Well, and I think the the huge positive here is, yes, we unfortunately do not get Riddler here, but that gives us so much more time with Scarecrow. Yeah. And, and this, for long Halloween. Yes. Yeah. And the the Scarecrow portion of this of this movie with the with um, Bruce being injected by the fear toxin, I think, is the highlight of both films, in, in my personal opinion. I don't know what you guys thought, but um the 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 terrifying scene after in the woods after he's injected with the fear cartridge is is amazing. Matt, what did you think of that? Yeah, um, that was on a on a rewatch. That was something I paid more attention to. Um, I think because of watching uh, last week's Titans episode with with that version of Scarecrow, I was like, oh, okay, like this, you know, with the his mother or whatever hanging from the tree. Like that was. That was very, very well done, um, and very uh, a, a rendition of Scarecrow that is that is very well done. And just the the moment I love is like you the first time they encounter each other, like you know, uh, Batman you know jumps on him, and of course Scarecrow like gasses him or whatever. But then you see Bruce come in, and it's like, hi, you know, I'm prepared for you. You can't do that trick, you know, twice. I've got my gas mask. And then Scarecrow's like, oh, how about this? And he injects him, and it's like, oh, mm-hmm. now it's now it's over. It's that little, like, quick chess match, like, and uh, it's classic Batman versus Scarecrow, and I loved it. Well, I, um, I feel like the the injections – have become a, a real popular part of Scarecrow's arsenal ever since the Arkham games, and, and I really like that. That's a um, that's like a secondary device that that Scarecrow has when the when the gas doesn't work. But what did you what did you think of this uh, Scarecrow sequence, Joe? I I really can't add much to it other than what Matt already said because I think the uh, I think it is one of the highlights of the of the story. Mm-hmm. And I think the crime alley sequence is probably the most um, emotional stuff from the movie. And like yes. you said, where it doesn't hit the same beats as under the red hood, I think it comes close in this scene and one other scene that we'll get to um, that I'll bring up later. But yeah, what, how Catwoman, you know, sees him in crime alley and finds him and helps him. It's it's just a beautiful scene to build on their relationship, and it works very organically. Ties in to the the scarecrow with the fear toxin. Everything was done really well on that scene, and that's why again they skipped some stuff that we might have wanted in there, but they made up for it with Mother's Day. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, Catwoman finding Batman in the alley and uh, Batman referring to to her as his mother. Uh, I oh, mean, it's, yeah. oh, it's heartbreaking. So. Yeah. And then, you know, 
how much she cares it, it is really shown by her taking him to Wayne Manor. I think it's a little odd that she left him on the steps, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. Uh, from, from mother's day, we go into, into father's day and father's day is Falcone is really with his kids. I think he, more so in the movie than in the book, he is really just not having it with Alberta or Sophia wanting to be part of the, the family business. And that's called out here. And uh, so we get the we get both sides. We get the the Falcone side. And of course, we end Father's Day with the Moroni side of Luigi being murdered by Holiday. And we see a little bit more of this um, this uh, Moroni and Sophia relationship here. Uh, so what did you guys think of of the Father's Day segment of of the movie? Joe, you can go ahead. Well, I think that's, and again, it's been a while since I've watched the film, but that's what really puts the Maronis against the Falcones again in a harsh way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also, you know, adds to the whole dent thing with the Falcones. And it's just, yeah, it was just another holiday that added to the confrontation that we're leading up to. And after Mother's Day, it's definitely not the same impact as Mother's Day, but it just, again, it furthered the story more. And it was a cool little way to, and this is not in the book, correct? The Father's Day murder? Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah, it is. Okay. I don't remember um, in what regards it was. It was obviously different with the Sophia relationship, correct? Um, no, they're, they're, they're in a relationship in, in the book as well. This okay, is actually... Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember that. This is actually pretty close to the page because this is, oh, the, okay. this is the whole lead up to... to Maroney deciding to go after Dent through, you know, first, you know, going to Dent with, uh, quote unquote information. Okay. So yeah, then, then there's really nothing else I could say. It's, <laughs> if it's straight out of the book. Then, okay. They, they did everything the right way for father's day to lead up to the confrontation. Yeah. I do think the, the Sophia stuff is a little different with her father, mm-hmm. but other than that yet, yeah, it's, it's actually pretty close this chapter. Okay. What about you, Matt? What did you think of, of the Father's Day chapter? Um, it wasn't the, for me, it wasn't the same, like, focus point. I think kind of like, you know, you go from the Mother's Day and, the, you know, the things in the middle. It's kind of, kind of a little bit of a lull for me, but it really does, like you said, it's, a, it's kind of a setup thing. It really sets up the whole, okay, like Maroney going after Dent and, like, why we end up, you know, seeing him do what he does in the courtroom and um, things like that. So it's a, um, I like the way it was portrayed. It's just like, as far as it like hitting anything and being like a super memorable part of the movie, it's kind of lost on me a little bit there. But like you said, it just kind of ties everything together and fits the, you know, the puzzle pieces. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, this is a little bit of a – I think what makes this just a little bit slower than the rest of the movie is this is the portion where there's really no villains. Yeah. Um, I mean other than Holiday, of course, and he's the main villain of, of, of the movies. Um, but you don't, get, you don't get any of the – like the Scarecrow like we just got in Mother's Day or Ivy to start the movie. This is pretty devoid of the rogues gallery. So I think that's, that's kind of where this section of the movie drags a little bit. But it's also to set up – why Maroney wants to go after Dent. So 
that it, it does move the story along. I just think it it slows down just a little bit because you don't have any of the the Batman versus the Rogues Gallery action. Um, but we do get plenty of that in the next chapter, which is the the Fourth of July section of the of the book, and that's we uh, we get Scarecrow and Mad Hatter. And I have to say, um, Mad Hatter, I said in our episode covering the book, Mad Hatter is my least favorite in the Long Halloween book, but I actually kind of like him here. Um, I don't know if it's the voice or or just some of the things he does, but I kind of like I kind of like him in the movie. Matt, what did you think of uh, the whole Fourth of July chapter with with the the bank robbing for Falcone and finding out that Falcone's hired hired the freaks? Uh, what did you think of this this section? Um, I I like the fight scene. I like Batman finally you know sticking it to Scarecrow after you know what he did to him two months prior um mm-hmm. and the the mad hatter i think it's it's almost you have a a tougher like mad hatter like a i don't know more of a, a big guy and a little man's body kind of i i think it's the <laughs> i think you're right i think it is the voice he's he seems more like a more of a grunt in this than he does a um you know mad science you know mad science but it, it, it works um especially like the little uh-huh. I think it's him, the Cockney accent. Yeah, it's the it's that. Uh, there's a little exchange between him and Scarecrow, and like you know, Mad Hatter's just kind of like rambling something off, and Scarecrow's you know like and drops like some kind of weird riddle, and Scarecrow's like, I don't know, I don't care, like he's kind of <laughs> like annoyed with him, and then then of course that's whenever they you know they both get uh, beat up on by the bat, but um, and then the uh. The boardwalk scene, like where, um, you know, the encounter with um, with Dent and the the hitman and and all the mystery and things around that, um, I think that was I think that was well done and kind of had me going, well, okay, well, because that's different from the books, correct? Like that was not that's something that was added in. I I think this is added, yeah. Yeah, because I, I don't remember. I remember when I watched it the first time, I was like, okay, I don't remember this being in the in the comics. Um, but it's interesting, especially especially the little exchanges between Dent and uh, and Catwoman. Like whenever she's like, no, like you don't want to do that. Like stop. And he's like, no, like I want to find out why he's trying to kill, you know, my wife or or you know whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, Joe, the, the 4th of July section, what'd you think? No, I, I agree with everything Matt said. Um, yeah, it it added another action sequence. Um, I think it was a well done action sequence. My nitpick would be Batman taking the, the, you know, ski mask off and somehow his bat ears did not, um, stick out of the ski mask. Like, I don't know if they're soft or what that, that bothered me a little bit, but that's a stupid (laughs) nitpick. (laughs) <laughs> was was that I, in this that, section? That's the boardwalk scene, isn't it? Or is that prior? No, I think that that's later? that's later in the Grundy dance scene. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, as far as the boardwalk stuff, I I like that whole like like Matt was saying with the Catwoman and uh, and Den stuff was really intriguing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, leading up to this, I think the the biggest part of this uh, chapter of the of the movie is we get. We get the whole courtroom scene with Harvey Dent and uh, Maroney. So we know that Falcone's sister, Carla, has publicly accused Dent 
of being holiday. And this is part of why and Maroney's got it in his head that Dent is holiday. So this is the, the classic scene where we see um, Maroney throw the acid into Harvey's face. I think it re- they've really made uh, made it a point to show you the 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 inner monologue of Dent in this movie, and to hear that the seeds of Two Face are already planted, even before the acid is thrown. So, Joe, um, what did you think of of how they adapted the the courtroom scene for the for the movie? I thought this was was perfectly done. Um, and yeah, as far as the inner monologue, again, I'm sorry, I don't remember if that inner monologue was there in the book, but it definitely traced back to me to, to, you know, the big bad Harv stuff from the animated series. Mm-hmm. That's, that's exactly what I was going to compare it to was yeah. from the animated series. Cause it shows that he's already getting to that point. The acid just puts him over the edge. And mm-hmm. I think that's a, I think that's a really smart way to handle the character because it shows that the acid isn't the sole reason he has, you know, he has turned. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Matt? Did you did you like the the courtroom scene here? Yeah, like like Joe said, I, that's. I mean, you can't really complain about how how that was handled. Um, that's classic, you know, Two Face origins. Um, they adapted that very well, um, and. And echoing again the whole, you know, inner monologue. Like, I, I, I went straight to oh, Big Bad Harv, like from the animated series. Like, um, and you, it's very, <clears throat> and it doesn't just start there. Like we've we've seen this kind of like um, de-evolution of Harvey, you know, into into Two Face, even earlier. You know, he's, you know, the longer this holiday thing goes on, you see him, like I said, in the in this previous holiday and on the 4th of July, like you see him, you know, going after, you know, um, the hitman and and things like that and really starting to kind of break down and and, and go down that darker road. and and to compare it again to the animated series, you get more of the like the the therapy, and this has been a chronic thing. And even you know before you know anything specific, you know specific case is something he struggled with. Um, but I think here in in this sequence with this version of Harvey and Two Face, you uh, it's a more of a little bit more of a subtle thing that kind of gets to the point where he's he's at a a point of a a nervous breakdown and it just, you know, that the acid on his face, like he said, just, just breaks in at the, you know, it's uh, honestly like Maroney couldn't have timed his actions any more, any more perfectly. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like if the same thing had happened prior to all this holiday stuff, then, you know, maybe it could have had the opposite effect on Harvey, you know, um, and he would have, he wouldn't have, we wouldn't have gotten it, maybe not have gotten a two face because he would have been at a, at a point where maybe he was better equipped to, to handle that kind of trauma. But then mm-hmm. when you throw that on him at this point where he's already about to snap, then it's just, it's a done deal. Like he's, you know, it's a, there's no going back. There's no, he hadn't, he had no chance of not turning into two face from that. Yeah. I, I, I think they've been laying little subtle seeds of Two-Face all the way since the, the first mo- the first part of the movie. Um, and I, I 
I really enjoy. I'm like Joe. I don't remember if there are the the little inner monologue portions of the book. I I don't remember that, so I don't think it's there. But I think it really works here, and I think that it's just showing you that Gotham is slowly breaking down Harvey Dent pieces at a time. So I I, I thought they did a great job with the courtroom scene here. I mean, it's been done over and over again um, in animation and film, but I think they, they did a really good job here of, of Harvey Dent's transformation. But moving on, we get into Labor Day, and this is the scene that you were talking about earlier, Joe. This is where uh, Dent and Grundy attack um, Maroney's prison convoy. Dent is completely transformed into Two-Face at this point, and uh, Batman is disguised as Maroney's guard, and, and he subdues Grundy. So this is... This is where we this is where we sort of get what we were talking about in the first movie where we didn't we didn't know what uh in the book or and they don't cover it in the first part of the film what Batman attacked Grundy with and we kind of get I think we kind of get a little bit of a touch here of it. I don't know what you guys think, but he sets off an explosion in his face. So I was like, okay, so it was either a light or something like that. I'm, I'm still unsure about the book. It still drives me crazy. But, uh, yeah, it's the it's the movie's interpretation of it for this scene. Yeah, uh-huh, for sure. But um, what do you guys think here of this? This is a pretty cool action scene. I think instead of doing this in the sewers where, um, where Maroney gets shot – uh, by of course, this is where we find out in the book that Alberto is Holiday. But here we get more of an action scene in an alley. So, what did you guys think of, of of this scene, Matt? You can go ahead. Um, I think it kind of sets, and the whole point of it is to clear up the fact that um, you you have Holiday and you have Dent in the same spot, and it's okay. Well, Dent's not the killer, so who is left, you know, um, uh, and this is, this is definitely an addition from, from the comics. Um, and it, it, it had, um, especially with the whole, um, Batman being the, the guard, um, had, uh, the dark Knight vibes to it with the, the scene with, um, uh, where they're, I think it, isn't it, uh, flipped where Harvey is the the prisoner and um Joker goes after him and stuff. That's what it reminded me of. But uh mm. setting up the um just the whole sequence and the setting and the the lighting and stuff and the the turned over truck and things, I was like, oh okay, this is you know, this is Dark Knight vibes here. But um yeah, and then they do a good job of of alluding to the the whole Gilda twist whenever Harvey stops um, Batman from going after Holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, oh, okay. So they're still going. They're still they're still going that route. Like that's a that's a um, that's still a thing. And the look on his face whenever he sees that he's like you. It's it's there. Like you you know something's up. Like you're knowing if you have background knowledge, you know. Okay, yep, that was Gilda, one hundred percent. Right. What about you, Joe? This uh, the differences in the book here uh, with the with the prison convoy scene. What did, what did you think of this action set piece? Yeah, and this is where, like, you know, because I haven't watched the film in a while, this is where everything kind of gets fuzzy on what scene is what. But yeah, I, 
it's I like that interesting take that matches had where where Art Harvey's starting to suspect something is going on with Gilda and that's why he's doing what he's doing and um yeah it's 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 a cool action sequence um and you know now we're starting to really put the puzzle pieces together to see what's going on with Holiday and you know are they going to full on say that Harvey was never Holiday what you know they're they're really starting to get to the end here where we're starting to to question things but also starting to come to terms with what's happening yeah i agree um so the, the, there's one little piece I wanted to bring up before we get into the end, because the end is basically one huge action scene. Um, but before we get there, there's this little brief scene where Batman um, is on a rooftop talking to Catwoman, and he's asking about her obsession with the Falcone fa- Falcone family. And uh, she tells Batman that Falcone is her father, and that she <clears throat> her whole motive is she only wants to know her mother's name. Now... To people who have read uh, Catwoman When in Rome, which is a continuation of the long Halloween story, uh, this this doesn't come as any surprise. But I don't – Matt, have you ever read When in Rome? No. I was actually uh, – because I had a feeling that you were going to bring this up. I – that makes me feel better about that, about that revelation because um, – it was kind of something in the movie. I was like, oh, this is cheap. Like, why Why does it all have to be connected? Like, why does that have to be the, the motive? I was like, of course it is, you know. But if there's basis for it in the comics and it is not, you know, just something that they, you know, pulled out of a hat, you know, to to add in as a, you know, superficial thing, then that, that makes better. So that's that's based on, you said, what is it, when in Rome? That's the... Yeah. Yeah. So it's that, funny because I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Joe. Well, it, it's funny because that revelation comes from when in Rome, most people that have read when in Rome or dark victory, as well as long Halloween, they always associate that revolution revelation with the long Halloween because it's kind of hinted at, mm-hmm. but it is not revealed in long Halloween, but it, like it, I think it's, you can't go back and read long Halloween without knowing that it just kind of goes with it. So I like that they did add that into this film because it makes a lot of sense to have that revelation here. Well, yeah. And the likelihood of us getting a Catwoman when in Rome film is, is, is pretty remote. So yeah, yeah, I mean, they could have done it with dark victory. I don't remember if she plays a huge part in dark victory. Uh, because when in Rome, I think when in Rome actually takes place during Dark Victory, because I think the release schedule was weird where when in Rome was supposed to come out first, but it came out after. I don't remember. There was something weird with that. Yeah, it's kind of the third in the trilogy in the omnibus. So you get mm-hmm. Long Halloween, then Dark Victory, then when in Rome. So it's all part of of, of one huge story that uh, Loeb and Sale created. But Either way, that's uh, I. I thought it was a neat little touch uh, and and a and a nice nod to when in Rome. So th- I just wanted to touch on that real quick. But this um this kind of brings us into the end of the film. It's 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 a much different ending um than the book. Well, not much different, but it's 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 a lot more action heavy than the final scenes are in the book. Um, we get Dent and Grundy attacking Arkham. 
and, and freeing lots of the inmates. We get Penguin here, which was neat because we didn't get him at all in the in the first part. So we, <laughs> we get a little bit of Penguin. Um, and we get Dent and the Rogues Gallery attacking uh, Falcone's home and attacking Falcone himself. And we get we get just a, just a ton of information in a short span here. Uh, we get we get that uh, Dent shoots Falcone, and before he dies, Catwoman reveals her face and and says, "Who says?" And, and Falcone says, "Louisa." So it, that's a little tying together. We get uh, Catwoman's mother's name, and uh, we the the murder of, of Falcone by Dent here, and we he has completely become Two Face. And it ends with this portion ends with uh, Two Face turning himself over to Gordon and claims responsibility for all the holiday killings. So this 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 big action scene here with the wrapping up of of the Two Face story. Uh, Joe, what did you think of of the ending here? I think it's you know it's it's just a fun action sequence. I think you needed to end on an action beat for a for a story that you know we've talked about. The comic does not have a lot of action. It's a very um, I guess quiet crime story where you know for the film they wanted to give it more action more entertainment value and I think they the, did a really the nice book job. is a the book is a drama yeah yes yeah and I think I think the the way they honor that is by making this you know a longer two-part story but also sprinkling in some action because I think they could have just done a straight adaptation and probably could have made it a little shorter than it was, but I think the this is kind of that happy medium where okay, let's add some action, let's let's develop these characters a little bit better for a film, and make it a little longer. And I think mm-hmm. ending it on this fun action sequence with all the villains was a smart thing to do, and it you know it it had a much more impactful final act, I think. Yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of you know we we get the whole rogues gallery at the end of the, at the end of the book, but they're kind of dealt with very quickly. And I think for, for a cinematic experience here, it's, it's fun to have this, uh, this big action set piece with, with Batman taking on all the, all the rogues gallery and Catwoman joining him to fight the rogues gallery. Uh, what did you think, Matt? Um, yeah, just kind of echoing everything that you guys said. Um, it's the scale in the movie is much larger than what it is in the book. Um, like you said, like it's, it's all very localized in the book just to the, to the one building and kind of really the, the one room. Um, and, uh, but in the book, you know, it, it takes a, takes place across the entire, you know, city. Um, or I mean in the, in the movie it does, but that's, I feel like that's, that's appropriate. Like in, in the, and especially for the scale of the movie and just for the general audience, like you want that big, like confrontation that big finale that big you know bang where in the book like you said it's more of a it's more of a drama it's more of a uh, a noir you know style you know more of a who done it not like not a you know batman versus all the the big bads you know it's more of that detective kind of style um so it, it definitely fits the two the two the two different variations of it fit um, the appropriate um, media. Um, I, I do like that we get the, you know, the the cat little cat woman scene, and because in the book she kind of just like t- 
turns face or, you know, turns heel, you know, back and forth, like double agent, whatever, back and forth. Um, I like that she Mm kind of stays, you know, and continues her own story and we get that little tie up. Um, I did really like the, uh, the, the scene where Harvey actually ends up shooting, um, uh, Falcone. Falcone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like it was, was, I remember that being a very tense moment. Um, I thought that was probably the most well done part of the entire sequence. Um, so overall, I, it gets thumbs up for me. Cool. And this is uh, this is the biggest part of the of the movie. This is this is where we get into the big twist. So I definitely wanted to give you guys time to uh, discuss this. Uh, the the end of the film here, we get in in dense basement. Gilda is burning all of her holiday items. So this is the big reveal that that she she is holiday. And she's burning all the items. We found we find out that Batman is in the basement. He's looking on as she's doing this. She confesses that Falcone had actually annulled a marriage between herself and Alberta, which is a big twist. And that he had forced them to abort their illegitimate child. Um, so as Holiday, she kind of she kind of went on the revenge warpath against the entire family. Um and in an interesting scene, she assures that Batman – she assures to Batman that Holiday is finished, and he kind of leaves it at that. So the big twist here, um, Matt, what did you think of, of the big twist and, and how different this is from the book? Um, I, think it, I think it fits. I think they did a good job. You know, looking back on it, um, they laid the seeds for this – very well um you know there was uh back in part one um you of course had the the whole confrontation or the conversation between alberto and catwoman describing you know um him having a relationship with a woman you know prior and stuff um but you also have the little tidbit where um i think it's barbara gordon who uh says oh i didn't know that you were a lawyer as well gilda so whenever they start talking about um, uh, the Oxford or, or whatever mm-hmm. um, thing that kind of makes you start to think, well, hold up, like, you know, that that doesn't quite make sense. I immediately went to Gilda. This is where they're going with it. Like, that's how they're going to tie this back into her. Um, so I, I, the big thing with me with twists is you you can't I, I don't want you to deck machina the whole thing like i don't want you to just pull it out of a hat and just you know all of a sudden that that'd be it like i want to i want it to have been there you know mm-hmm. like it you know give me those little sub, subtle references make me have an aha moment like oh yes that completely makes sense um and they did that they they knocked that out of the park with this um and yes it's different and it's it's much more um, uh, finite and much more, you know, closed book on the holiday, you know, killings, um, than what's left so open and up for interpretation at the end of the, um, the comics, uh, mm-hmm. as to like where things happen. Um, so, uh, but that again, the differences in each one of them 
are appropriate and definitely fit for their respective media like the having the having the definite ending you know and the definite reveal with gilda and all that like fits for the movie whereas having it open for interpretation for a little bit of interpretation at the end of the comics fits for that comic so it's perfectly done in my opinion nice and uh what about you joe the big twist here at the end of the film uh everything matt said i agree with i i think i think if anything too as far as the ending of the book with the three holiday killers that's i don't know if it's everyone's biggest complaint with the book but i think it's definitely one of those things that is the most you know it's a little bit convoluted the whole thing yeah it's it doesn't come to it doesn't work as well as the rest of the book you're right convoluted is the best word to describe that where it doesn't really line up well and i think here giving it a more finite ending works really well and i think adding more to the gilded character just again it it fleshed out that character to make it more impactful when you find out you know if you didn't already know that she was holiday and i think that's where to me that's the strongest part of the film is giving more for gilda giving more context behind what is happening there that that addition to the film is the biggest addition to the film and to me it's the most rewarding mhm i um i agree with you guys i i think what they did here is the the end of the book is kind of left open for interpretation and they take an iconic story here and they make it their own, whereas it's not left up to interpretation. It's they give you the answer. Um, they tell you what happened. And I think they kind of went to a dark place here with the whole child abortion and, and things like that. But it really gives Gilda motivation and it makes sense. So while, um, while I do like the twist here, my biggest nitpick of this entire movie uh is is where batman just walks away because for me that doesn't track um after she, after he knows that she's murdered all these people i think batman would take her in uh i know it's it's it makes it more dramatic and it's it's kind of uh poetic i guess that that holiday is done um, it's they've put it behind them and it's it's over. But for me, it's just it's 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 a weird thing that Batman would just nod and walk away. And I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that was I think that is my biggest sticking point that makes this not overcome under the Red Hood for me. So I don't know if you guys have thoughts about that or what. But that's it's that's my biggest sticking point of the movie. Um. I get I definitely get where you're coming from. I don't have the same complaint. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will offer this. Um, how does he bring her in though? What I mean, he has her confession, but you know, unless he recorded her telling him all of that th- that stuff, she's literally burning the evidence, you know, like mm-hmm. what and and there's also a yeah, I mean Harvey's claiming to have done it like, you know, so what's going to what's going to over what evidence does is he going to have to be able to overturn, you know, two face admitting to like it. 
and he this is not like like batman doesn't really take people in for like his detective work it's he's not a deputized you know policeman here so that's why i think i didn't have a problem with it because he's really just i think harvey already took the well i mean to your harvey already took responsibility for it yes i agree and they make it make sense and that, mm-hmm. that's the thing. I, I, I agree that they make it make sense. It just there's something about it that bugs me. And you're right. He's not a deputized member of law enforcement, but he's not in the dark night either. And he goes all the way to Hong Kong to bring somebody back and drop him at the police headquarters. True. Yeah, but they True. already had evidence on him. Well, yes, but it, the fact that that Batman would stand there and, and first first of all, allow her to burn evidence and also like – in my mind, I don't know. It's it. It may be just me nitpicking too much, but uh, to to Matt's point, I absolutely think that if Batman went here under the assumption that she was guilty, he'd absolutely be recording this. But I don't know. It's just it's 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 something that stuck with me, and it and it could be just me. But that's that's just where I am with with that part. I think it's more like and the you know the fact that he asked her, you know is it done? And she says, yes, I think it's more of a, uh, I, I kind of like the fact that it's like, okay, like that's it. Like, you... yeah, I think Batman has sympathy here. And I think it's, yeah, look, I think he's what Falcone has destroyed so many lives. It's like, she's, she's, she got her punishment before, you know, the crime the, before the crime. Yeah. So now, now we're, we're calling both sides of the equation are equal. I'm going to let it go. But I think there's also that undertone of like you step out again and I'm coming for you. Like, I'm like, I'm taking like, there is, there's, this is it. Like I'm going to turn away once, but I don't have another cheek to turn. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a kind of that understanding. And I, I like it. I, I understand that it's not traditional Batman in in a sense, but I, I like the take. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm glad that that you guys can see past the the nitpick. I it, for me, I don't know why it bothers me so much, but it's just it's just weird. Um, overall, though, I mean, it, it doesn't affect my enjoyment of of the movie. Um, so there for for whatever that's it worth. A, it sounds a lot like you're saying not my Batman. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely not what I and that's what I'm trying I, I keep in my mind thinking about like oh okay so he's one of those guys that doesn't like the fact that Superman killed Zod like no, this is no. it <laughs> and, and that's the thing that's that's what I'm trying not to be uh, yeah. so. no, it, it's it's one of those that when you watch one of these films you can't help how something makes you feel and if that's the yeah. first thing that popped into your head even though I disagree with you I you can't help that. And yeah, it, I didn't even cross my mind because I felt like she had been through so much already. I took it as there's nothing else I can do to punish you anymore. You going to prison would not accomplish anything. That's how I took it. And, and the thing is, that makes complete sense. I, I, I get it. It's just it's like you said, it's just a feeling. Yeah. So but anyway, moving on, um, the final part we get here, which I thought was just great is is it's halloween at the end of the film which ties it back to the beginning um we get some trick-or-treaters and then in the post-credit scene uh some more someone else knocks at the door alfred answers and it's flash and the green arrow 
And we get Alfred saying, uh, Bruce, I think it, or Master Wayne, I think it's, I think this is for you. <laughs> I love this so much. Uh, it's definitely not part of the long Halloween book, but I love that this is basically confirmation that this Batman is part of, of a larger universe. And, and this is, this is kind of our confirmation that this is a new universe of films. So what did you guys think of the post credit scene here? Joe, you can, you, you go first. Well, and then there's the second post credit scene where Alberto is revealed to be alive the entire time. Oh, gee, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, so yeah, real quick before we get to that, because I totally forgot to bring this up, and I couldn't even tell you what chapter it was, but I have it written down because it's my favorite part of the film. Okay. Um, the fireplace conversation with Alfred, where Alfred says, your parents would be proud of their real legacy. Mm-hmm. I... I wish I had remembered more of that scene because I think Bruce was talking to Alfred about his parents and what they would think about the fact that, you know, he was involved in all this stuff and, and then, you know, what would they think of him? And I I just love that scene so much. I think it was the, my favorite scene of the entire film. And I just wanted to touch on that real quick before we get to the, uh, the post-credit scene, but yeah, the post-credit scene was just a fun thing um, to confirm that, it's definitely part of the greater universe. I think it's the smart way to end this to confirm what we had all been suspecting all along. Mm-hmm. And it's another fun Halloween shot. Absolutely. What about you, Matt? Um, the post credit scene here, what'd you think? I thought it was hilarious. Um, and I thought the, the, the choice of the flash and green arrow together, like is just a, I think that will sit well with fans. Um, in a post uh, Arrowverse uh, world, because um, they'll you know make that connection, um, and then the just the personality of the two, like you couldn't you couldn't have picked like two better superheroes to to make that kind of reveal with. Um, but I'm interested. I'm not as up on like what's slated next for these DC animated movies. So like, do we have a a movie upcoming where it's you know confirmed or we're uh, assuming that they're going to be uh, joining forces in, or is that kind of still? Open I right I now? think it's I think it's open right now. I don't. It, there could be another one on the slate. Um, if there is, I'm not sure. The only thing I know that's coming next is Injustice, and that's completely out of universe. Yeah, so. yeah. Joe, are you aware of any? No, I don't think we have anything revealed for in universe stuff yet. Um, but usually we get four to five of these films a year, so I'm sure next year, uh, we'll we'll get we'll get some more in this universe. They, I, I just I, haven't seen any announcements yet. Yeah. I, I don't know if they'll announce that at fandom or not, or at least make a press release during fandom. They do that. Sometimes they use that date. Like they won't actually make an announcement during one of the panels, but they might do like a press screening that day. I mean, a press release or something to that effect, or, or maybe even New York comic-con. Nice. Okay. Also, so, Oh, go ahead. Also, like we have not seen a green. This is our first Green Arrow in this universe, correct? So f- far as I know, because we've uh, this is only movie three, you know. Yeah, because we, we haven't have, had a Justice League film. Because we've had Superman, and then we had the uh, Justice, Society. Justice Society, and so we, that's where we got Flash, and but there was no Green Arrow. So can can I maybe get my hopes up a little bit that next year we'll see a green arrow movie like solo film kind of explain his presence there or 
That would be great. I'm all I for would, it. That would be a lot of fun. I would assume it's just going to be a Justice League film, but I, I'm with you. That would be really fun to see a Green Arrow film. I would love to see them give Oliver his own movie, like yeah. animated yep. movie for once. <laughs> for sure i agree that would be great but um well that's we're we're gonna start to wrap it up here so for batman the long halloween part two i want to get you guys uh final thoughts and a battering rating so matt let's start with you um i cannot remember what i gave the first part i think i gave it an eight and a half we all gave it eight and a half. Eight and a half. um as I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it a bump to a nine, um, for part two and for the, for the um, for the overall rating, um, as a movie of its own. Um, mm. it, if I, I will say this, this is one of those rare instances where I wish that I had seen the movie first without knowing anything about the the books uh so that i could compare and enjoy the movie on its own without waiting for you know certain parts Mm -hmm. and i feel like it's it served much better as a oh okay you're more kind of a casual fan like you know you're gonna really enjoy this movie and then it's gonna make you pick up the book and you're gonna read the book and really enjoy the book as well because the film i feel like does not spoil does not spoil the book at all like it's there's still so much that's different that you're still kind of on edge and things with reading the the comics um so definitely the part two gets a nine and the whole film Parts one and two combined get a nine batterings out of ten for me. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I. Well, before I get into it, Joe, uh, give <laughs> us your <laughs> give us give us your final thoughts and a battering rating. Uh, that's actually a really interesting way to look at it, like Matt just said, because I never thought about it that way. If you see the film first, you could still read the book, and when Alberto doesn't, when Alberto, quote unquote, dies, like you're in for a real reveal at the end of the book. So that's really interesting to to go back the other way. Um, but yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. If you just judge this film on its own, it is it is a really fun film. And I hate to say this because I don't mind long films, but I think the only thing keeping this from being rewatched so much is the length. Because as far as the animated films go, like if you have two films on the same plane, it's just easier to pop in the one that's 70, 80 minutes. And this is not a film that I could be like, oh, I'll watch part two. Like, no, this is this is one film. You Mm -hmm. can't you can't watch one without the other unless you watch it in like an episodic way. But it is still a really well done film. I think it's a very fair adaptation, but it's a better movie. It's a better movie. Like I, I keep saying what they added worked well and judging it just on itself. It is really well done. I'm still going to stay at an 8.5. I think that's a really great grade for both. Um, and that's that's where I'm at. I, I think I, I'm looking forward to having the deluxe. We still have not had an announcement on when that's coming. I'm curious if they're going to add some stuff uh, to even make it a little bit longer. 
I don't mm-hmm. think they're going to add much. I don't think they even have to. They can kind of just go right into it, eliminate it as a post-credit scene from the second one and just kind of make that part of the film. I think it works fine. So, yeah, I'm at an 8.5. I really, really enjoyed it. I recommend it. But I'm with you, Eric. I think Under the Red Hood is still top tier of these, you know, recent animated films. Yeah, for sure. Um so we didn't for me, we didn't even talk about like the the art and the voice cast, which is basically I mean, they're they're pretty much the same uh with a few additions. Uh the voice cast is still amazing. The art is wonderful, uh minus the noses that still disappear on the females that <laughs> bugs the yeah. crap out of me. Um but yeah, I I think this is a wonderful part two uh, for for this overall film. I do agree with you, Joe. I think, look, as much as I love um, Zack Snyder's Justice League, and I do, it, that's that's the only issue with that one. It's so long that it's not one that you can just on a random day say, ah, I think I'm going to watch Zack Snyder's Justice League today because it takes a while to watch. And this, as a as a complete movie, clocking in at just like three hours, is a long, long film. So, yeah, that's that's one that will that will affect rewatchability just a little bit. But overall, I think they took what is a legendary book and they made it their own, and they made a a, a really really good movie out of it. And it's one that I will revisit. I just don't know how often. Um, the sticking point for me at the end affects my grade just a little bit, uh, and again, it's not that it doesn't make sense. It just, it's just something that bothers me just a tad bit. So for me, it drops uh, the grade from the first one just a tiny bit. I'm going to give this an eight instead of an eight and a half. And so the two films together, they, they average out to an eight and a quarter batteries. <laughs> so for me, yeah, again, really, really liked it. Um, borderline loved it. It is it is it does not overtake under the red hood, but that doesn't mean that it's not a fantastic movie. So there you have it. Um, we have a nine, an eight and a half, and an eight for Batman under or excuse me, Batman the Long Halloween Part <laughs> Two. <laughs> I've got under the red hood on my mind. Um, but thank you guys for joining me once again. This is a longer episode, but we covered two really, really fantastic topics. So, uh, Matt, thank you for coming on again. Uh, we really appreci- appreciate you joining. Uh, tell the folks where they can find you on social media. Um, I'm a, a, a social media hermit. The only thing that you can find <laughs> me on is uh, Instagram, and that's simply Matt Hewlin. That's M-A-T-T-H-U-L-E-N. Um but yeah, that's me. Nice. And thank you for coming on again, but I, I really enjoy having you on for the animated movies. Yes, sir. Anytime. All right. And for Joe, thank you once again for joining me. Thank you for being my, my uh, partner in crime here. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Well, thank you for having me. And it was fun to, to get to talk to Matt again. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as J411. You can find me on Facebook as Joe Forno. Very nice. And for me, my personal accounts can be found on Instagram and Twitter. That's M.E. Carter 89, me Carter 89. And for the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at TFR Batpod. Once again, our email is TFR Batpod at gmail.com.
If you would take a moment out of your day to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we would really appreciate it. It really helps the show. Uh, it gives us exposure. And if you do leave a rating and review or an email, we will read it on the show. We have a presence on TeePublic where you can go on there. You can find our logo on all kinds of products. Uh, it, it, you don't have to do it, but if you do, just know that we greatly appreciate it. And speaking of our TeePublic store and our logo, we have two brand new logos. If you follow us on social, social media, you've seen those. They're awesome. I am over the moon about those logos and credit goes to Mr. Justin Kowalski for designing those. So thank you, Justin. We appreciate your work. And that will do it for this episode of The Fire Rises. But we will see you next time. And until then, remember to keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward. Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with AT&T, Warner Brothers, or DC Comics. The thoughts and opinions expressed by the participants are solely theirs and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening.